Thank you to all who have participated in our service thus far this morning. We have been considering together the fact that because Jesus died for our sins, not just my sin, but our sins as the people of God, we are to love one another. And we've been looking at the loving one another passages. This morning, our theme is that because Jesus died for us, we are to wait for one another in the partaking of communion. 1 Corinthians 11.33 is our key verse. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, and that is speaking of the Lord's Supper of communion, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Waiting for one another in the partaking of communion is more than simply being polite. And it's even more than being thoughtful or considerate of one another. But there is a theological truth that is to be represented in our waiting for one another as we partake of communion. Because Christ died for us collectively, and each one of us have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we each have a portion in the benefits of his death and resurrection. So too, each of us should have a portion in the partaking of communion. It is to assure that we all take communion together, for we all share in the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection if we know him as our Lord and Savior. I'd like us to see how this plays out in our text this morning. The first thing we note is that the Corinthians were not to be praised for the manner in which they were eating the Lord's Supper. The the Corinthians were not to be praised for the manner in which they were eating the Lord's Supper. Earlier, Paul had praised the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.2, Now I commend you, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I have delivered them to you. But when we get to verse 17, there's the word but, for the tone changes. Now Paul comes to an area where he does not praise the Corinthians. Verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Again, in verse 22, he says, what shall I say? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. The reason that Paul does not praise the Corinthians is because they are assembling as a church body, but they are not helping each other, but rather actually are hurting each other. Verse 17, because when you come together, it is not for the better, it is for the worse. They are not receiving God's approval and praise. In fact, we will see at the end of this chapter, they are receiving God's judgment. God is displeased with the way in which they are partaking of communion. In their coming together, rather than to promote unity in the body of Christ, they are promoting divisions. The reason for gathering together was to promote unity or a oneness. Notice verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... They were coming together as a church. 
This is not just any old assembly. This is not a club. This is not an organization. This is the church, the body of Christ. If you notice in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, the ESV translates it, when you come together as a church, NAS, when you come together as a church, the NIV, when you come together as a church, the King James says, when you come together in the church. I much appreciate the other translations for the emphasis is not the building. He's not saying when you come together in the church, when you come together in a building, he's saying when you come together as a church, when you are uniting as a people of God, when you are coming together as those who belong to Jesus Christ. The word ekklesia is a compound word in the Greek. It's made up of two words. The second half is from the word kaleo, which means to call. The first is a preposition, ek, which means out of. So ekklesia is to be called out of. And there are a number of ways in which it's used. To be called out of, first of all, has the aspect of being separate or different. God has called us out of the world in order that we might be a unique, treasured possession unto himself. There's also a sense in which the word means to call out in the sense to assemble, to gather together. And it's emphasized in that way three times in our verses. Verse 17, when you come together. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. when you come together. That is a key thought in the understanding of what ecclesia means. We are not the church as individuals. We are the church corporately. And there is no way in which that is better manifested than when we gather together. When we come together, we are the church. We are called out, and then there's the third use of this word, to be one. To be one group, to be one entity, one people of God. So we come together to promote our unity. We come together to promote our oneness in Jesus Christ. Paul says, when you come together, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. Why does he say that? Notice verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions. He says that when you come together, in order to be this one people of God, you have divisions and factions. That is the exact opposite of the purpose of gathering together. It's to be one. But when they're coming together, they're not coming together as one. They're coming together as a divided people and factious. They have their own cliques. They have their own people that they are interested in and, and concerned about. And he says, this is not good. And I do not praise you for this. In fact... What they're doing is counterproductive. 
And then he goes so far as to say, in coming together, they had missed the mark to such a degree that they were not even celebrating the Lord's Supper. Verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you are eating. So he says to the Corinthians, though they are gathering together, they have these divisions and they have these factions, and although they are partaking of the Lord's Supper or communion, he says, but that's not really the Lord's Supper. You have so corrupted this that you can't call it the Lord's Supper anymore. At least you shouldn't. For it is not being observed in any of the way in which God has intended communion to be observed. Rather, in verse 21, rather than celebrating the Lord's Supper, they were, in reality, just each selfishly eating their own meal. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. With his own meal. That doesn't mean that they each brought their own meal and they're all having packed lunches and they're all sitting down and and eating what they've each provided. No, it's saying that you are participating this individually. Rather than eating the Lord's Supper, you're eating a meal that is of your own concoction of your own arrangement, of your own purpose, your own desire. Call it what you want, Paul says, but don't call it the Lord's Supper. For you have corrupted it. How have they corrupted it? Verse 21, for eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. When we think of communion, we think of what we have before us today. We think of these elements that we're going to uh, distribute, and you get a little piece of bread, and you get a little thimble full of grape juice, and we partake. In the New Testament era, the Lord's Supper was just that. It was a meal, a full-blown meal, oftentimes referred to in the scriptures as a love feast, where people would gather together and they would celebrate. Remember, it comes out of the Passover meal. And so it was this full-blown meal that was eaten. If we were going to try to make an analogy today, as far as the meal is concerned, it would be closer to our fellowship meal that we have uh, on the second Sunday of a month. So if you stay and, and we come and, and there are, it's a whole meal. There are desserts, there's beverages, there's food to eat. But as they were partaking of the Lord's Supper, they were selfishly thinking only of themselves. Some were not getting anything to eat. Look at verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. One goes hungry. So let's picture our fellowship meal. And let's picture people starting to go through the line on Fellowship Sunday. And they look and, boy, there's all these different foods to eat. There's the supplements there are sandwiches, there are, there are eggs, and so on. And so the people that go through first just begin to pile their plate high. And they've rounded it out, you know, and they've sampled a little bit of everything, and they've got this huge plate. By the time you get to the last person that comes through the line, there's nothing 
left. There's nothing left. That's the picture of this Lord's Supper. Some are hungry. Others, it says in verse 21, get drunk. They're drinking so much of the wine, they're drunk. Some are going without. Some have way too much. And the result is that they were dishonoring those who had nothing, that is, nothing to eat at the meal. For notice in verse 22, it says, well, excuse me, verse 22, it says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Do you despise what God has brought together? Do you think that's a small thing? Do you humiliate those who have nothing? That is, those that there's nothing left. Rather than honoring one another, you're disgracing one another. Rather than putting other people first, you're putting yourself first and them last. And he says, this is not praiseworthy. Verse 22, shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So, how should they be participating in the Lord's Supper? Notice what is said. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and following. For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. One of the frustrating things about English is that you, in English, can be either singular or plural. If you write in your Bibles, here is a place to write. Circle the word you. It is in the singular. It is in the singular. I've been emphasizing that most of the time when the Bible talks about Christ dying, it is for us. I said it's not wrong to say that he died for me. But I said we've really gotten it out of proportion because most of the time we talk about God, Christ dying for me, very little about Christ dying for us. The scripture talks a whole lot about Christ dying for us, a very little about Christ dying for me, but here it is. Here it is. Christ died for me. Christ died for you individually. So here's the picture. There is a common loaf of bread. Jesus stands, he prays. And he says, this loaf of bread represents his body, which is for you. So he is dying for them. They are receiving this individually, just as we are going to pass out the communion individually. All right? So this death is for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. Each one of us who personally place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his death was for me. Each individually shares in the benefits of Christ's death. And collectively, they were proclaiming the significance of Christ's death, that Jesus died to save a people and to reconcile them to God and to each other. Now notice verse 26. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now the you switches to a plural. 24, it's singular. 26, it's plural. Together, as we partake of communion, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. As together we take of communion, we are declaring something about Jesus' death. We are proclaiming that Jesus died for us. Last week, we saw that in our love for each other, we demonstrate Christ's love for us. How shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another? Paul says, as you partake of communion, you are proclaiming the significance, the reality of Christ's death. That is that he reconciled you individually to him. And he has reconciled us collectively to him and to each other. That is what he was achieving, and that's what he achieved. And communion is the beautiful picture of what Christ has done for me, he has done for us. And what he has done for us brings him great glory, for he has created now out of a whole bunch of people, one people for his honor and for his glory. Thus, there is a moral and ethical significance in partaking of communion. We are all sharing in the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. Therefore, we should be concerned as believers about the way in which we participate in communion. It's a serious matter. We're to guard against taking communion in an unacceptable way. Notice verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. But what is the unworthy manner? Notice what it says. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. The unworthy manner is a failure to discern the true meaning of Christ's death and sacrifice. Now there's a play on word. Look at verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. There's a play on words here. And that is that you need to discern the body when you eat of communion. That is, first of all, you need to think of Christ's body that was torn for you, that was distributed to you. You are to reflect as you take of communion that Christ died for me. Bore my sins. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And I need to understand when I take of communion that he didn't just die for my sins. 
He died for my brother and sister's sins as well. He died for you. And he died for us to bring us together as a people of God. The body of Christ, if you will. Even in that song that we sang, that we are the body. We are to discern at one and the same time Christ's body given to make us one body. So the way in which they were partaking of communion, Paul says, that's not communion. When you don't care about each other. When one person's going hungry and another person is getting drunk, that's not communion. That's not unity. When you have divisions, when you have factions, that's not communion. That's not coming together for the better. That's coming together for the worse. So then, how should communion be taken? Look at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait from one another. Wait for one another. If you can't wait for one another, then Paul says, stay at home. Verse 34. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. If that's too big a burden for you, that you can't wait till everybody has gotten some before you eat, Paul says, then stay home. It'd be better off if you weren't here. Gathering together is for the worse. It's not for the better. You think you're better off being here? Paul says you're better off being home because you're just bringing judgment to yourself. Now, is it sinful that uh, as we have Fellowship Sunday... We have people eating before other people? Not necessarily. But if we don't think about each other, there's something sinful about that. If, if, if selfishly, all we're concerned about is that we get enough, and more than enough, and we don't think about the person who's at the end of the line. If we don't think about, you know, we like to have a selection, they'd like to have a selection too. If, if we don't consider other people... We call it a fellowship meal. Is it really a fellowship meal? Are we really thinking about others? Are we, are we trying to promote unity? Are we, are we trying to, to get to know each other? Are, are we really trying to do more than just feed ourselves? Is it more than just about eating what I like? Okay, if that's all it is, Paul says you're better off staying home. Fellowship meal is intended to create a oneness, a unity. It's not intended to promote skirmishes and disruptions and people getting upset with one another. That loses the whole framework. But again, bringing this back, because this is not about fellowship meal, it's about communion about communion. And we do wait for one another when we take communion. Uh, One time 
In all my years here, we served communion and we ran out of communion. And I was taken aback because that's the last thing in the world you want to do is run out of communion. And, you know, uh, I didn't handle it well. Because I, I just took me by storms, by surprise. I didn't handle it well. The more I thought about this text, the more I worked through this text, I said to myself, you know what we should have done? None of us should have taken communion. If there wasn't enough for everybody, we shouldn't have taken it. Or, be sure that when we handed out the second element, the people that didn't get the first would have gotten the second. And some people wouldn't have gotten the first. This is a holy thing we're doing. And it's intended to have a holy meaning and a holy purpose. And we will wait. And we'll all take communion together. We'll, we'll do what this passage tells us to do. But that still doesn't guarantee that we take communion with the right heart. That still doesn't mean that we really are sitting and thinking about the fact that I'm sharing in this communion with my brother and sister in Christ. That I'm rejoicing because I have a relationship to them because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there shouldn't be anything that would come between us. We can't allow any bitterness, any anger, any frustrations, any divisions, any factions, any ill will, bad thoughts, bad blood between us. We are celebrating our oneness in Jesus Christ. May that be true of us as we take of communion this morning. May we not be selfish and self-centered as we partake of communion, but rather two things. First, may our thoughts and focus be upon Jesus Christ who died for me. And then, may our focus be as we partake of communion together on my brother and sister in Christ, who Christ died for as well, and has made me their brother and their sister. He died to make a people one, to overcome our sinfulness. We've been emphasizing that sinfulness is self-centeredness and selfishness. Self-centeredness for God is to be at the center and selfishness for our lack of desire to serve God and to serve one another. So communion is best represented when we have a heart that focuses upon Jesus' sacrifice and an appreciation for our brother and sister in the Lord. This is what it means to reflect on the body as we partake of communion. Christ's body offered the people of God, the body of Christ that he has created through his death and 
resurrection. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you are invited to participate with us in communion. If you do not know the Lord as your Savior, we ask that you refrain. But more than that, brothers and sisters, I pray that as we partake of communion, that we reflect upon those that we are taking communion with. And may this be a demonstration of our commitment to one another because of our commitment, mutual commitment to Jesus Christ. Brethren, if you would come forward at this time.